The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I thought you might be hungry. Oh, very kind. Okay. Was there something on their list about apologizing on a full stomach? You read the Crutessens document. Sorry. Sorry, I'm a little on edge. I haven't slept very much, but I'm doing the best I... the best I can. Hmm. I understand. Ensign Sato and I have broken down the reconciliation demands in two specific categories, if you're interested in reviewing them. My only concern right now is Porthos. I'm sorry to have interrupted. No. No, it, it, it's okay. When you get back to the bridge, why don't you send me your lips? Lisp. List. Two Pelorians lips within 30 seconds. Interesting. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, May the 4th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. Hey, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be on the heels of last week's show that featured a number of comments raised by Dr. Jordan Peterson, particularly those about gender differences and the different choices that men and women make with regard to their jobs and family, it occurred to me that it's been quite a while since our spotlight has actually been shone on the greater theme of sex and politics and sex in politics. So before we begin on that theme, don't forget that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including... Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past Just Right broadcasts. So to kick off the conversation today, here's an item from Our London, written by Eric Shepard on October 6th of last year, just about the time that another story about a model photographer having her semi-nude female photos taken down from Facebook was surfacing in the news reports all around the city and the province. We'll touch on that one a bit later, but I thought that Mr. Shepard's take on the issue was a bit ambiguous, to say the least, if not confused or even contradictory, and I saw the red alert on this one as soon as I saw the headline, quote, Objectification Culture, end quote. He writes, Freedom of expression is more than just speech. In the Western world, nudity and sex are frequent targets of censorship. While scenes of violence, brutality, and even hate speech often pass unchallenged, the image of a naked human body or mere suggestion of sexuality becomes the site of moral panic. Compounding this problem, young people are increasingly exposed to sex through easy-to-access pornography and fail-to-learn healthy sexuality. Porn in objectification culture turns sex into performance and body parts into commodities to be sold. 
the marketing industry uses scantily clad bodies of mostly women to sell all manners of things, while also using body shame insecurities to create demand for cosmetic and pseudo-medical products. The industries that exploit body objectification depend on our prudishness and preoccupation to thrive. By embracing and promoting the healthy and free expression of physicality, objectification culture will in time come to an end, he writes, an end quote. Whether consciously or subconsciously, I think this perspective is fundamentally anti-male. The whole issue of quote-unquote objectification speaks to the essence of the difference between men and women, which ironically is one of our running themes today. Here's an article from the Londoner, September 26th of last year, written by Ethan Kampf, Celebrating Bodies at Hope's Garden Fashion Show. Hope's Garden is a charity which strives to help individuals with eating disorders and those suffering from negative body image. Negative body image is something that many people struggle with. This has only been enhanced by unrealistic depictions of the ideal body in the media, which we are constantly barraged with every day. We're spotlighting an issue that's misunderstood and breaking down beauty ideals. Remember Dr. Peterson's reference to Venus last week? Because they are unrealistic, said Natasha Newby, executive director of Hope's Garden. It's about what our bodies can do for us and not what they look like, end quote. And in another fashion item, appearing in the Londoner on March 23rd of this year, Jessica Pett writes with the heading, In Modeling Mode, this is interesting, and I quote, Close me nothing until someone lives in them. This once said by world-famous fashion designer Mark Jacobs can be a quintessential benchmark in a model's career. Amidst the hair, makeup, and clothes, under the lights of a decorated runway that is lined with an eager audience, one particular London-born model has a specific desire. My favorite part of modeling is being on the runway, being on stage, said Stephanie Brannigan. I don't get nervous and love the confidence you're filled with, especially when you're portrayed as a badass with the hair, makeup, and wardrobe. You feel fierce and want to show everyone. I already wore heels on a regular basis, and any time I walked, I walked like I had a purpose, said Brannigan. End quote. Then there was a strange case of Laura Robinson, who found her photography, quote-unquote, temporarily banned from Facebook for posting artistic portraits of partly nude area models. And this was the issue that Eric Shepard had referred to earlier on. Facebook banned it because of complaints, as reported in the September 27th London Free Press last year. Uh, Headheading read, Londoner to Facebook, don't ban our bodies. And as reporter Jennifer O'Brien put it, in each portrait, the woman's nipples are covered by her arms. Facebook suspended them after the photos were posted last week, saying they had violated community standards. To me, that's a little overkill. I don't think that tiny change of the position of an elbow makes a photo turn into porn, Robinson said, end quote. Well, you know something? That's exactly how porn was banned before the internet came along and censorship laws were loosened. You just showed the wrong part of the human body. That made something that was otherwise not porn into porn. That's how it works. It tells you more about the censors than, than what's being censored. Robinson has put out a call for women of all sizes, ages, races, abilities to contribute to her photo series using the hashtag don't ban my body or ban bullies, not bodies. <laughs> End quote. And then we have this one. Very interesting. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. An article appearing under Beauty in the London Free Press and originating from the Daily Telegraph on January 14th of last year, 2016 which asks the question, can you ever be too attractive? 
And I quote, Studies over the years have suggested, variously, that a pretty face can open doors to better jobs, higher salaries, and more attractive spouses. But could there also be a surprising price to pay for being too beautiful? Last year, author Michelle Miller, a Stanford graduate who was a wealth manager at J.P. Morgan before she left Wall Street to write, posited a surprising theory that her success was not only down to skill and determination, but the fact that she was, in her own words, a 7 out of 10 on the attractiveness scale. Miller noticed that to get ahead as a woman in the corporate world, your face was your fortune. Or more specifically, it paid to be just attractive enough. Because while women may be damned for not caring about their appearance at all, they can also be deemed too attractive to be taken seriously. If she had been any less good-looking or any more beautiful, Miller suggested, she and all the other sevens she was surrounded by would never have made it through the door. And the writer concludes, Although we may have spent our careers putting our professional progress down to pure merit, there is a chance, whisper it, that our bosses simply deemed us unthreateningly average-looking enough for the job, end quote. And while one can certainly sympathize with those dealing with eating disorders and over- or underweight issues, those very conditions can only be determined to be disorders or body health issues against some already known or predetermined standard, right? Whatever it might be. I'm not sure it serves anyone's interest to suggest that changing the standard is the way to solve the problem. You know, you are your own standard is a rather meaningless proclamation. It's all about self-love, quote-unquote, said Dr. Carl, Carlin Costa, MC of the show. Well, some people might say it's self-delusion if all you're doing is changing standards of ideals, but I hope, hope there's more to it than that. One of the things I couldn't help noticing when she was in Canada last September was the fashion and beauty attention pay, paid to Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, who in a September 28th clipping I have here is pictured in, quote, two stunning dresses during visits to Victoria and Kelowna, B.C. And she is stunning, which is why she makes the dress more than the other way around. And that's exactly why most high-fashion designers do use the so-called ideal models to make their fashions look great. You know, beauty has always been a calling card within the royals of any nation, and a lack of it has always been perceived as a shortcoming. I mean, either way you look at it. Remember Lady Di? Hey, remember Princess Leah, for that matter? Fact or fiction, it's the same principle. So I need to explain these realities, and I think we're all in a lot of trouble. But for certain and social political folks, beauty, ideals, sexuality, eroticism, and things related are all matters worthy of moral condemnation. Back on Just Right 439, we reviewed how, quote, morality splits on gender lines and that men and women are at odds on sexual topics, although not so much when it came down to it. But as usual, moral discussions in the media are always about sex and not morality as such. Now, because of their beauty and or their femininity, women, more than men, are able to earn a living on their looks. And that means that money is involved. Modeling is just one of those ways that they can do that. Celebrity sex appeal is obviously another one, and it's, it's not only a given, but establishes all kinds of ideals, quote-unquote, often based on a heroic or sexy character in a movie, film, or TV show. 
But then there's always prostitution and pornography, and on those issues within the female community, differing forms of feminism have arisen, and the conflicting ideas among differing feminists have, in part, been responsible for the contradictions and confusions about, in particular, men. Increasingly, in today's sexual culture, when perfectly normal heterosexual men react or act in accordance with their natural inclinations, they can get into a lot of legal trouble these days. You'll remember on last week's show we discussed the case of corporate law, where a male employer who did everything right was still found guilty before a human rights tribunal of retaliation. The retaliation, you see, was his ceasing the unwanted behavior by a female employee, who nevertheless felt that she could you know, she should be entitled to his personal attentions that were based on a premise that she rejected in the first place. How, how weird is that? It is reminiscent of the sheer injustice of a difference in rights between men and women, now ingrained by Canadian law, into a moral and legal contradiction that should never have seen the light of day. We'll talk about that after we hear from feminist and abolitionist Megan Walker in conversation with CKTB's Tom McConnell on April 13th, following a prostitution bust that may or may not have had some merit, as Walker herself was more focused on her own agenda. But on this side of the bumper, we'll hear from feminist Christina Hoff Summers from Book TV In-Depth Online, speaking to some of the social issues and problems caused by the kind of feminism that is represented by Megan Walker. There have been articles in magazines for young men that say, you know, colleges to avoid, where it's really like hostile environment for, for boys, where you'll go there and they'll have, you know, just uh, angry, angry women and so forth. So I think that's all contributed to the bad name of feminism. So, What about women's studies programs at university? Well, women's studies programs are a, a mix of uh, good and bad, and here's why. There are many professors of women's studies who are drawn from other fields. So they are simply, uh, they are historians with an expertise on women in a specific period. And those professors give straightforward academic classes. What worries me are the, what typically happens in Women's Studies 101, which is feminist theory, and where young women come into these classes, and the, I've looked at the textbooks, and the, uh, the Independent Women's Forum actually commissioned uh, Christine Rosen to do a content analysis of women's studies textbooks, the leading textbooks. And what she found was, one thing, a lot of misinformation. She called them sisterly sophistries. Uh, and a very negative views of men. Hostility to um, <coughs> traditional femininity. So a woman that, none of us want to see women forced to stay home and raise children, but what about women that want to do that? That seems to me to be a very admirable choice. And these books tend to take a very negative view um, it was almost as in these women's studies classes, I did not find a balance. You will not, you will rarely, I've never seen a textbook in women's studies that I would consider balanced. There may be one, uh, and, and please send it to me if you're out there. <laughs> they will sort of disparage what equity feminism, the kind of feminism I embrace. They will disparage that. And then there will be these different schools, very arcane, Marxist feminists and Freudian and lesbian separatists or eco-feminists or postmodernists, so on and on. Uh, but again, very narrow and esoteric and uh, not, just not going to appeal to most people, <laughs> let alone students. In many women's studies courses, the students are almost uh, taught a kind of conspiracy theory about the patriarchy. 
and they, they master a set of statistics, but they are not statistics, they are propaganda. Because, and, and this is a harsh thing to say, but I'm going to say it, it at the heart of, of feminist theory on the campus is a body of egregiously false information, and, and most of it about how oppressed women are, and how they are being cheated out of their salaries, and how they, their, their self-esteem is being devastated from all corners, and how they are put upon by men, and they, you know, the very high chances they will be battered and raped, and if that's only if they're not dead from anorexia nervosa in a desperate effort to meet patriarchal standards of beauty. But it tends to be, most of the textbooks um, are very eager to embrace studies that show that women are, are losing, that women are second-class citizens, that we're still the second sex, we're oppressed. Men are, you know, they're very eager to show that and very, very resistant of research that has, comes with better news. So I, feel, I never want to uh, be guilty of indicting all of women's studies because there are great scholars. But those great scholars should speak out against the ideologues because the ideologues, the hardliners, they, they, they're more vocal, they set the tone, and I think they've given women's studies a bad name. It is illegal in Canada for men to purchase sexual services from women. It's a crime, and they should be held accountable for that criminal activity. And so absolutely, we want those names released. Uh, Randy Richmond of London Free Press. And let me just read the first two sentences from his article last night. And it's a quote. The arrest of 35 Johns during a massive southwestern Ontario human trafficking sweep will do more harm than good to most sex workers, says a leading London agency advocating for women. Sex work will go further into the margins. This puts sex workers in further danger, said Annalise Trudell, manager of education and research at ANOVA, which provides shelter and counseling for victims of abuse and violence. What's your response to that statement? Well, it does. so first of all, ANOVA is formerly Women's Community House and Sexual Assault Center, and they joined. It's a pro-prostitution organization. Um, they believe that prostitution is the choice of a woman. We do not believe that at all. We're uh, an abolitionist organization. We don't believe women actively choose to be raped on a daily basis. What we believe is that women have to make a decision based on limited choices in their lives, and sometimes it's for survival, sometimes it's to feed their children, whatever it might be, but that's their entry point into prostitution sometimes. And also it's uh, that they're actively being recruited by sex traffickers. Those aren't choices that women make. So um, there is no evidence. The London Abuse Women's Center released a research report. It's on our website if anybody wants to see it. And uh, it shows that there is no evidence to sh support that uh, women are less safe when Johns are arrested or these things take place. And there's further no evidence to support that it goes underground. And I can tell you it just doesn't even make sense to suggest prostitution would go underground. Because if Johns can find uh, women in prostitution, uh, so too can the police and so too can community organizations. So the regrettable thing for me about that story is that um, the journalist, did not reach out for comments for, from the other side. And I think good journalism should always include, uh, you know, perspectives from all sides and not just one side. So frankly, I don't really give it much credibility. Megan Walker says it is illegal in Canada for men to purchase sex from women and they should be held accountable for that criminal activity. And she argues that women do not, quote, 
<laughs> actively choose to be raped on a daily basis. This is all twisting the language. And she says that women have to make a decision based on limited choices in their lives. Well, hello, who doesn't? Isn't that what responsibility is all about? Isn't that what it's all about? And she insists that the choices that they make when it comes to prostitution are choices that they're not really making. And of course, anyone who disagrees with her abolitionist point of views is a pro-prostitution organization, even though all they really are is pro-choice. Sounds like the debate on abortion. And she, argue, and she complains that the journalists that Tom McConnell cited in that in interview did not reach out for comment from the other side, which means, of course, her. Good journalism should always include Megan Walker. Well, in the interest of good journalism, please rest assured that I do not include the comments of Megan Walker here today for balance. Megan Walker is not balanced in any of her socialist Marxist, Marxist progressive feminist viewpoints. Let's face it. She's one of the ideologues that Christina Hoff Summers referred to. I include Megan's comments only to illustrate how wrong I believe her, her beliefs to be and how harmful they are to both men and women alike. I've been saying this about her for years. And I have to be honest with you. I'm still having a lot of difficulty getting over the ridiculous premise on which Canada's prostitution laws are currently based and that they even went through with it. I mean, we discussed this on the show when the changes to the law were actually being discussed, and, and I'm still stunned that the government actually went ahead with it. But here's Wikipedia's definition of prostitution. Quote, Current laws on prostitution in Canada, introduced in 2014, make it illegal to purchase sexual services, but legal to sell them. According to the Canadian Department of Justice, the new legal framework, quote, reflects a significant paradigm shift away from the treatment of prostitution as a nuisance, as found by the Supreme Court of Canada in Bedford, toward treatment of prostitution as a form of sexual exploitation that disproportionately and negatively impacts on women and girls. Many sex workers' rights organizations, however, argue that the new law entrenches and maintains harm against sex workers. While the act of exchanging sex for money has been legal for most of Canada's history, the prohibition of the activities surrounding the sex trade has made it difficult to practice prostitution without breaking any law, end quote. And of course, those are issues we visited many times on this show, and we had hoped that, you know, the governments of the day would resolve many of those contradictions. Instead, they threw about another hundred contradictions into the mix, just so they can remain subjective and keep calling the shots. I just, I just can't wrap my head around the reality that the Canadian government could have adopted such an unjust, contradictory, and unequal law to deal with a problem that, as described, does not even exist. Significant paradigm shift? My goodness, that's an understatement. The significance in creating two different legal classes of citizens with one having more rights than the other, I mean, that's just immoral. It's disgusting. It's undemocratic. It's unjust. It's totally subjective. It's outrageous. It's evil. Hello? I mean, if women are not capable of making a choice when confronted with selling sex, then they're not human beings. And look, we're not talking about someone who is forcibly under some kind of restraint. I mean, these are not the distinctions that are being made. And if Megan was really talking about people that they needed to help, you know, help, then we'd be talking about helping the people who are actually victims of violence, abuse, etc. How ironic. 
no, I should say how how revealing <laughs> that Megan Walker, when it comes to women, you know, charging the likes of Bill Cosby and Jean Gomeshi, should insist that the women be believed. But when women say they have chosen sex work voluntarily, she doesn't believe the women. <laughs> the cons- you know, here there is a consistency, and that's her ideology. Abolitionist, contradictory, irrational, attacking the messengers instead of the message. I found the inconsistent wording between Walker's definition of prostitution law in Canada and Wikipedia's definition very interesting. Walker, of course, zeroing in on the men, describes Canada's laws as making it illegal in Canada for men to purchase sex from women. But Wikipedia avoided the inequality of the sexes by describing Canada's prostitution laws as laws that, quote, make it illegal to purchase sexual services but legal to sell them, end quote. Now, I don't know about you, but that made even less sense to me than Walker's nonsensical, though legally correct, definition. So does that mean, if I'm going by the Wikipedia definition, that even a woman purchasing sex from another woman is guilty of the same crime as a man buying sex? And what about gay prostitution? What about gigolos? I suppose it's okay for women to buy sex from men. I don't know if the law works in that direction. What about people with gender issues? If they are females who identify as male, are they guilty of the crime, whatever it's called, a restraint of trade between consenting adults, though because women are considered incapable of consent crime? it's, It's so subjective and ridiculous. I haven't really heard any clarification about this, so I'm operating under the assumption that this new paradigm shift relates only to men buying sex from women. After all, given that the shift was made, according to Wikipedia's own account, on the, quote, treatment of prostitution as a form of sexual exploitation that disproportionately and negatively impacts on women, end quote, that would certainly justify why Megan Walker, who's in the business of man bashing, would clearly say that the laws make it illegal in Canada for men to purchase sex from women. Now, just on the face of it, something sounds wrong with that. And of course, as Jordan Peterson so often has illustrated in his many lectures, that numeric disproportionality caused by the fact that more men buy sex from women than the reverse would be perfectly natural and doesn't reflect any disproportionate issues at all. It reflects differences in interests, including sexual motivations between men and women. Hello? Remember what the real crime here is. It's a financial trade. Remove the money from the transaction and just leave the sex. No crime committed. So is it the sex or the money that's the problem? And all of the talk about gender and sex and politics is always really about money at the bottom line, about getting something for nothing, and I'll get to that later. You know, think about it. Women can now have an abortion with taxpayer money. That's a choice, quote, quote, unquote, that apparently they are capable of making, but they are not legally allowed to use their own bodies as a means of earning their own income because people like Megan Walker do not believe they're capable of making such a choice. And think about that for a minute. Now, mind you, they got it fixed so that they can make the income, but their customers can't pay them. So the conflict and contradiction is so bizarre. How do we go ahead even one day with that nonsense? If only one person on the whole planet were capable of thinking like this, that would be cause for concern. But all kinds of people 
on the left think that this utterly lawless and anarchistic approach to charging quote-unquote criminals, made criminals by virtue of their own contradictions in the first place, is so outrageous an offense, it's beyond a simple paradigm shift. Come on. That shift must have happened decades ago for it to have you know, poisoned our common law principles and principles of fundamental justice. How have we come this far? Any prostitute, pardon me, sex worker, who can legally accept payment from a John and then have that John charged for doing that and avoiding prosecution herself, she's in fact a cop, isn't she? And has the status of being a cop in this regard. You know, fake prostitutes? They made possible the condition for the male to make an illegal payment. And I think, I call that entrapment. You know, when you give some groups different rights and status than other groups, you're just pouring fuel, like a, atomic fuel, onto the fires of division in terms of everything from sex to race to economic status and belief. It's pure poison. And our governments swallow it with a democratic and legal immunity paid for by our loss of freedoms and tax dollars. Now, coming up next, notice that the first thing that Dr. Peterson says he notices about the turnout to his appearance at Western University back on March 18th is all about the makeup of the crowd. Now, this is from an original recording made at the event that Robert Vaughn and I attended. Had a front row seat. The media were not allowed to place microphones right on the podium or near Dr. Peterson. However, the PA system made it quite possible to get a pretty good sound recording. Now, this was the day after that horrible reception he received at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, where his appearance had to be cancelled thanks to an administration that would not forcibly remove those disrupting the meeting, something we'll talk about a little later. But what a difference a day made. And here's how it sounded when Peterson took the stage to a packed house here in London, Ontario. people are men, and also the people that are watching on YouTube, it's about 90-10 as well. 
And I'm not exactly sure why that is, although I think maybe that nobody is actually speaking to men properly now. And maybe I'm doing a bit of that, and I would say that's probably also really good for women, because if men aren't doing very well, you can be sure that women aren't going to do very well. Because as it turns out, we actually need each other. It's nothing really personal, just a kiss. Hmm. But why should people want to kiss each other? It's an old custom. All of the really high civilizations go in for it. But it's so silly. But it's good for you, though. It, it stimulates the whole system. As a matter of fact, you can't be in tip-top health without it. Really? I didn't know that. I'd be only too happy to show you. Well, thank you very much, Lieutenant. No trouble at all. Is that all there is to it? Well, you, you've sort of got to stick with it. Once more, do you mind? Not at all. I don't know, Lieutenant. There must be something seriously the matter with me, because honestly, I haven't noticed the least bit of stimulation. Uh, uh, honey, let's do this thing right. Sir, I, uh, I know there are a lot of pressing duties waiting for me back at the ship, and and rank doth have its little privileges, mm, sir. And you can depend on it, Lieutenant, that those privileges won't be stretched to taking your kind of advantages. Oh, right. Dismissed. What's the matter with him? Why did he leave? Why did you both act so funny? Well, what'd you expect? Well, don't you understand, Alta? No. Well, look at yourself. You see, you can't run around like that in front of men, particularly not a space wolf like Farman. So for Pete's sake, go home and put on something that'll, uh, anything. What's wrong with my clothes? I designed them myself. Stop looking at me that way. I don't think I like it. Uh, what do you mean, ha-ha? <laughs> Commander, the lieutenant and I were just trying to get a little healthy stimulation from hugging and kissing, that's all. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. It is thanks to our financial donors that we are able to continue our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support or just hang out to check out an audio and video archive on more topics than I can even imagine, all available for your listening and viewing enjoyment at the click of a mouse or the touch of a button. Now, we'll hear more from Dr. Peterson's presentation a bit later, but first I wanted to deal with some of the politics surrounding his appearances at various campuses. What has led to conditions that would find a university professor thinking it was necessary to explain the differences between men and women to, to full-grown adults? How, how have we come to this? Why is that? Because we live in a political environment that is guided by a sexual politics insisting that there are no such differences. I mean, that, that's the reason. You know, the day before he appeared in London on March 18th, Jordan Peterson appeared at McMaster University on the 17th, where a group of uncivilized thugs, who should have been removed from the premises, and I mean by force if necessary, whatever it took, 
but who, for some reason I couldn't understand at the time, were per they were totally permitted to continue acting like the animals they apparently aspire to be and want to turn the rest of us into, of course. Can you imagine what all discourse and debate would be like if the right side in the debate also acted like the left? You'd have nothing but conflict and never have a resolution. Force would always have to be the arbiter of every dispute, which is kind of where we're going to end up with it if the left keeps moving. Knowledge, reason, evidence, and experience would have no place in such a debate. In fact, those are the things the left does not want to hear from. But the real evil at McMaster seems to be at the top. Dated the day before Peterson's canceled and shouted out appearance at McMaster, to which he was invited, by the way, the copy of the letter I have in my hands is practically an official statement of evil intent on the part of the following groups who signed it, and printed on official McMaster University letterhead in a statement issued by these four groups. One, the President's Advisory Committee on Building an Inclusive Communities Priorities and Planning Committee, an LGBTQ plus working group. Two, the McMaster Students Union Diversity Services Director. Three, the McMaster Students Union Queer Students Community Center Coordinator. And four, the McMaster Students Union Women and Gender Equity Network Coordinator. All as left as you can get. No individual's name actually appeared on the, on the letter, which of course, <laughs> it's the left. There are no individuals. I know that Professor Peterson has already responded to this letter. And believe it or not, at this point in time, I haven't even heard his response. Mostly because I wanted to contemplate this on my own first. The letter was dated March 16th, the day before Peterson's appearance at McMaster, and opened with, quote, Statement Re, McMaster event featuring Dr. Jordan Peterson, Professor of Psychology, University of Toronto. Quote, we are deeply troubled that Dr. Jordan Peterson has been invited to speak at McMaster about freedom of speech and political correctness. And the letter asserts that Peterson's notoriety was the letter of his callous disregard for the personhood of trans and gender nonconforming colleagues, end quote. Personally, I think Peterson's notoriety resulted from their intolerance of anyone who disagrees with them and that the arguments put forth in their letter are completely disingenuous, to say the least. Get this. <laughs> Quote, Freedom of speech was not conceived as a means to protect normative ideas from contestation by marginalized communities, but to protect those whose speech might actually contest normative or nationalist ideals from censure, punishment, or retaliation by state forces. There is nothing rebellious or revolutionary about insisting on the naturalness of the now long-debunked gender binary. This is not a freedom that needs to be defended, but rather the simplistic reassertion of the status quo. So let us not pretend that Dr. Peterson is a staunch defender of any sort of quote-unquote freedom. In a world where hate and discrimination continue to flourish and appear to be on the rise, his way of expressing his right amounts to a presumptive sense of entitlement to deny others their status as fully and complexly human. There's nothing new about Dr. Peterson's position. There is also little evidence to be gained by debating Dr. Peterson because he presents no argument founded on evidence that would actually be worthy of debate. We suggest that wherever free speech is valued, protest too must be valued as a legitimate exercise of that freedom. But protest does more than this. It also aims to articulate 
and demand the kind of university and the kind of society many of us are fighting for. Have I tortured you enough yet? <laughs> there you have it. How the left articulates its no free speech philosophy. I have an audio copy of that noise that runs for about 17 minutes before I think they gave up or I gave up, I forget which. It is difficult for me to contain my utter contempt for both the theory and the practice of those who are represented by the McMaster University statement and the protesters at McMaster U. It's a good thing they wrote this letter, isn't it? Otherwise, we wouldn't have a clue what they're trying to say or where they're coming from. The entire premise is that freedom of speech is a one-way street, allowable only to those who have a new idea or concept. Old ideas or traditional ideas are not permitted freedom of speech, and that's exactly what they demonstrated. But they don't even have an idea, you know, nothing to express. Freedom of speech is either something that everybody has a right to or nobody does. The protesters felt they had a right to protest a private gathering, which is exactly what it was, even though it was on quote-unquote public property. That's how they think they justify it. And to blow horns, yell, chant, shout, and violate the free speech rights of every other person in the room. Here they are, all screaming, no freedom for hate speech, as their own seething hatred is just being spewed and spilled on an unwilling audience who came out to hear an intellectual speech you know, oriented kind of a pr presentation. Uh, shame on them. And shame on McMaster University. Should be called McMonster U. Quote, there's also little evidence to be gained by debating Dr. Peterson because he presents no argument found on evidence, say the letter writers. Here again is Dr. Peterson from his appearance at Western University in March presenting that lack of evidence that the McMaster protesters say is not worthy of debate. Of course, what makes all of the madness from the left so double-plus scary <laughs> is that our legislators are all taking it serious. Like, yikes. The first thing, in the policies that surround Bill C-16, there's a claim that's been instantiated in the law in Ontario, and will soon be instantiated in the law in, in, in Canada, and that is, and it's a technical claim, and you need to pay attention to it because the technicalities matter. So the claim is that biological sex Gender identity, gender expression, and sexual proclivity vary independently. And that's a false claim. Now, and that's actually what I said in the original video, and that's why people originally and still accused me of denying the existence of transsexual people. Well, there's no point in doing that because obviously transsexual people exist, and they've existed for a very long period of time. But that has very little to do with whether or not biological sex, gender identity, gender expression, 
and sexual proclivity are independent, and they are certainly not independent. They're not even close to independent. They're so highly correlated that the correlation is almost perfect. And, it, and these things matter when you put them into, into, into a legal framework. And so what's really happened is because the social constructionist types have lost the intellectual battle as the biological evidence for the grounding of identity has become stronger and stronger over the last 50 years. Because they've lost the scientific argument, they've taken the back door and they're trying to instantiate it legally. It's not going to work because you can't make false facts law. I mean, you can hurt people by doing that. You can cause all sorts of trouble, but it isn't going to work for any length of time. 99% of people have the same gender identity as biological sex. So how is that independent? It's the very opposite of independent. So it's wrong. It's as simple as that. And then, now that doesn't mean there aren't people who don't, where those two identities don't match, and those are the transsexual people, obviously. But to, to extract from that the statement that those vary independently is an intellectual sleight of hand. And it's really being pushed forward by people who are radical social constructionists who believe that every single aspect of human identity is determined by culture. And that's patently false. And not only that, it's dangerous politically because one of the ideas that characterized the most reprehensible movements of the 20th century was that human beings could be molded in any manner possible by the state, that we didn't have the intrinsic identity of any sort, and that we were only creatures of culture. And that's not the case. There's a very distinct human identity, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as this talk progresses. Okay, so. Gender identity and biological sex do not vary independently. That's the first thing. Then the next claim is, well, let's move to gender expression. Well, you can dress in any manner you want. You can express yourself in a feminine manner, culturally speaking, if you're male, or you can express yourself in a masculine manner, culturally speaking, if you're female. But the truth of the matter is that the vast majority of people whose biological sex is male and whose gender identity is male present themselves in their fashion choices as male. And the same can be said about females. So the notion that there's independence there is, is also incorrect. They can vary, but they don't vary independently. And finally, with regards to sexual proclivity, the vast majority of people who are male, who's, who identify as male, who present themselves as male, are also heterosexual. And that doesn't mean that there are no people who are homosexual. The percentage varies, but it looks like it's somewhere between 2 and 5%, or maybe between 1 and 5%, depending on the statistics. But that means that at least 95% of people who are male, who identify as male, and who, pre and who present themselves as male, are also heterosexual. So, those four levels of analysis do not vary independently, and that's that. When did you first begin to experience this performance problem? I guess it started about uh, two months ago. And can you think of anything of significance that happened two months ago? I don't know. I got a really bad haircut. My ex-wife got remarried. And that was very traumatic? No, 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 it, it grew back. <laughs> no, no, I meant... Oh, oh, the marriage. Yeah. How did that make you feel? Uh, I guess it was a little unsettling. Hey, why are we fixating on that? Uh, tell me about this woman you met. Oh, well, I, I met her last week, and I don't know. It feels different. It feels really different. We've gone out three times since we met. 
Well, this is a breakthrough. I know, I know. I don't know, maybe I'm setting myself up. What do you think? What do you think? I don't know. Why don't you tell me about him, Elaine? Well, he's just not like other guys. He seems so gentle, so sensitive. I wanted to rip her clothes off with my teeth. Obviously, because of my recent uh, situation, I'm taking things very slowly. Three dates, and all he's done is kiss me. It's so romantic. She probably thinks I'm gay. Where did you meet him? Right here in therapy. In the waiting room. And you know, the first thing I thought was, oh, God, what's wrong with her? But then I thought, hey, I'm in therapy, and there's really nothing wrong with me. It's always been the same pattern. I meet a guy, I think he's really nice, we start to go out, then the minute I have sex with him, I'm filled with this uncontrollable rage. Well, couldn't it possibly be different this time? It could be, I hope so, but that's what I said about Larry, and then I stabbed him 17 times with my comb. She probably just has a fear of heights or something. He needed 112 stitches. What's different between men and women? All right. Well, there's a variety of things. You know, the, the classic human embryological form is female, XX or XY. And the males are masculinized in utero by testosterone. So that's the first difference. And testosterone exposure in utero has quite profound effects on, on later, on all sorts of later phenomena, psychological and physical. So for example, one of the things that higher levels of testosterone in utero seem to predict is less interest in people and more interest in things. And so, and that's been well documented by research teams in, in the UK in particular. And women are more sensitive than men to anxiety and emotional pain on average. So, what happens to men and women at puberty? Well, the men get bigger, and they get stronger, especially in their upper bodies. And human beings are quite aggressive. We're prey animals as well as, we're predators as well as prey animals. And one of the, one of the ways that we defend ourselves aggressively is using upper body strength, so we punch. Like kangaroos, there's other animals that do that. So, and we punch, and so what that means is that men are quite a bit more dangerous than women in, say, hand-to-hand -hand combat. And that's an actual, actually a real problem. You see one of those, you see that manifest itself in part in a strange statistic because um, it will come as news to most of you, but wives hit their husbands more often than husbands hit their wives, quite a, quite a lot actually. But it's, in, it's a misleading statistic to some degree because women lack upper body strength. They can hit their husbands and they're not really gonna hurt them that much. I mean, there are men who are abused and I'm not trying to make light of that. But one of the problems with having much higher upper body strength is that if you hit someone, you're liable to hurt them. And so male aggression in the, in the context of a dyadic relationship, physical aggression, is much more likely to be dangerous or lethal than female aggression of the same sort. And it's part of the reason I think that women are more likely to hit their husbands, or wives are more likely to hit their husbands than the reverse, is because both the wives and the husbands know perfectly well that the wife isn't going to hurt the husband that much, so there isn't as much inhibition against the aggression. Pronoun Prof Gets Heroes Welcome at Western U, reads the March 21st headline of the report, penned by Norman de Bono, and I quote, Driven from McMaster University in Hamilton by an angry mob just the day before, an outspoken professor on the front line in the battle against political correctness was welcomed like a rock star over the weekend at Western University. Jordan Peterson, the University of Toronto psychology professor who's drawn controversy for refusing to use gender-neutral pronouns, saw his hour-long address at Western interrupted only by bursts of applause from the more than 700 people who packed into the school's natural sciences building to hear him. His speech ended 
with a standing ovation. Peterson didn't spare universities either, calling them playhouses where students are taught to bray in protest and taught soulless nonsense. Julian Bondy from McMaster University came to see Peterson in London after Peterson's Hamilton talk was cut short by protesters. The speech by Peterson, who's become the darling of the political right based on his free speech mantra, was surprisingly centrist, he said. You see a lot of Trump hats in there, but it was not really about the right or left, but the center, end quote. Now this, of course, is nonsense. He's operating from the official dysfunctional model of left and right that we discuss so often on this show. Knowing as we do that on that incorrect scale, communism sits on the extreme left and fascism on the extreme right, to be centrist would mean that you're an equal mix of fascism and communism, right? And yet Peterson represents neither and is violently opposed to totalitarianism. So no, it wasn't the center. It was the correct position, as in just right. And of course, notice the association that he's become a darling of the right because of free speech. So is the right the only side of the debate that believes in free speech? But continues the article. Quote, Tyler Ingalls, 23 of Sarnia, attended the event. Transitioning from woman to man, he came to London on Saturday to protest against Peterson, who refers to individuals as he or she, not as they. I was ready to disapprove of him, but pretty much everything he said I agreed with, said Ingalls. Everything he said was well thought out. I am female to male transgender. I have spoken to people about him, and people are really against him. He's right, it is very much the individual, he said, end quote. And yes, Tyler Peterson is right, not in the center or on any fringes of totalitarianism, which they're all, you know, which are all opposed to individuals and individualism. To promote leftist propaganda, you have to invent group rights, because group rights are the way to pit groups against each other, while one pretends to represent, you know, one of those groups' interests, usually the one with the majority. What a scam. Quote, you can't make false facts law, end quote, says Peterson, of course speaking from a moral and logical viewpoint. But politicians do exactly that, don't they? They do make false facts law. In fact, facts are really, really irrelevant, since the objective is always getting something for nothing and the escape from personal responsibility. Facts don't fit into that, uh, that play agenda. All racism, all sexism, all of these collectivism issues originate from the same source, collectivism. When you have group rights instead of individual rights, I mean, racism, sexism, and divisions of all kinds suddenly appear. And societies, once united under freedom and individualism, become disunited and internally at conflict. The McMaster letter writers referred to, quote, a world where hate and discrimination continue to flourish and appear to be on the rise. Uh, end quote, as they went out of their way to express their own hate and discrimination. But why does there appear to be hate and discrimination on the rise in the first place? A number of reasons I can think of. Where such hate and discrimination does exist, it emanates from the left, as, is always, as, as it always has done from time immemorial, although they didn't call it the left way back then. The reason for the hate and discrimination from the left is that they have no means of articulating their discontent or their demands because it's all so subjective and they can't put it into words. They have no evidence, no arguments, nothing to bring in to, to an intellectual debate. You can't debate, you can't 
take what they're after and, and make sense of it. But most importantly, and I have to keep repeating this, they want something for nothing, which could be status, could be anything. It's not always money, but 99% of the time it is. But it goes hand in hand with wanting to escape responsibility for their own actions. So what have we learned today? You know, that, that it's easy to be cynical and sarcastic because the arguments we hear almost beg for that kind of response. I mean, if you look at the, the state of confusion that we hear constantly, if you look at it from the media's point of view and what we're constantly barraged with, it seems that women are in this huge state of confusion and upheaval. And I suppose the cynical bottom line from the messaging that coming, that's coming from the politicos is that women are incapable of responsibility. That's what I keep hearing from Megan Walker. And, you know, I still maintain that, and I've said this before, men and women are essentially two, two different species. And there are so many other issues that we could have touched on here. I mean, sexual realities, uh, erotica. Have you know, ever noticed, too, how no heterosexual sex news is good news if it involves men? It's okay if, if women are featured in fashion shows. But all sex news that involves men and women is bad news. Whereas men and men, gay pride, celebrated, gender dysfunction, celebrated and protected. You know what I'm saying? Today's society never celebrates the heterosexual man in any way that I can see. I mean, the family man, the father, the, dare I say it, the breadwinner when the spouse raises the children. We do it for almost every other familial arrangement, but not this one, not in today's climate. Dr. Peterson will be coming to London again this month, speaking to the Society of Academic Freedom and Scholarship on May 14th. Robert and I will both be there, and I'm sure there'll be some fallout from that. But here is, again, the eternal bottom line. And bottom lines usually are about money, aren't they? And this is really all about money. And the debate about sex differences is a distraction from the inequities in income that naturally arise between men and women. If there was no money involved, there would be no gender and sexism issues because I, it just wouldn't pay. <laughs> just look at the stupid prostitution laws in, that Canada now has. It's all about the money, not any acts of sex. By grouping people according to artificial collectives, equality, or the lack of it, becomes the raison d'etre to interfere in the political marketplace. But the war of the sexes is not about sex or gender. <laughs> it's all about left and right. Left versus right, that's always the root of any political dispute. But if everyone was just right, I don't know if we could stand all the peace and goodwill toward men. At the risk of interfering in your life again, the time has arrived for me to invite all of you to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, you know what to do. Be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Read on with your mom's letter there, Jethro. Yeah, it's getting good. One city fellow's got his arms around Aunt Pearl, and another's waiting at the door to grab Cousin Jethro. <laughs> Mr. Brewster throwed his arms around me and helped me in his strong embrace. What's an embrace, Paul? Well, that's when folks kind of twine their arms around one another. You mean like wrestling? It's sort of like wrestling, except uh, they ain't mad. It's like wrestling for fun. Yeah, I reckon you could see that. <laughs> then we heard a knock on the door, 
and we knowed it was Jasper He. Better look for that dot again. Oh, yeah. We knowed it was Jasper. Uh, he was there to get Jethreen. Her beauty had set his heart to burning with flaming desire. What's flaming desire, Paul? Well, uh, Granny will explain that to you later. Well, I'll try. But you're sure counting a heap on my memory. Yeah.